This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Quantum Tech Pod. We're delighted that uh, you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on wherever you're sitting on the planet. My guest today is Denise Rufter. I'm delighted to have her join me. Denise is the Vice President for Business Development at IonQ. As you may know, IonQ is the first pure play quantum company to go public, which is very exciting, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later in the podcast. IonQ has also defined what it believes is the best path forward to scale quantum computers. So welcome, Denise. I'm delighted to have you as my guest today. Um, in preparing for our conversation, I have to mention that I realize we have 369 connections in common on LinkedIn. Pretty wild. Is so that welcome. all? Is that all? <laughs> Is that all? <laughs> That's the current number anyway. I, I, I you know everybody, favorite. Christopher, so like, well, we should have more. We'll have to work on that. We'll have to work on that. Yeah, no, I always contend it's, it stems from my days when I was a freelance bass player in Manhattan where getting the job is the job. Working the network, I learned that the hard way early. Yeah. But anyway, I always like to start my podcast conversations by asking my guests to share a bit about uh, their quantum journey. So our listeners, uh, you know, get a sense of what you did before you worked at IonQ. I know both of us worked at IBM. I think many of those 300 plus connections are IBMers or former IBMers. But if you could please share some background and about your path so far, and especially influence of your mom. Oh, my mother. Okay. Let's talk about my career first. That was the first question you asked. Okay. So um, we both worked at IBM. I worked at IBM for 18 years and I became an early employee in the quantum team. Hmm. And so I was around when the first computer went online and uh, that's the dark ages now, right? Really? Cool. Yeah. And, uh, and, <laughs> got a lot of had a lot of different responsibilities that were great. I started the startup program. I led the ambassador program, which is this worldwide program yeah. to teach people how to speak about quantum. I flew around the world and talked a lot about IBM quantum and also did a lot of business strategy. So it was just a great experience. Basically then made a decision that I wanted to go to startups and try out you know, something more entrepreneurial and left IBM and went to a quantum software startup. And hmm. then after a year went to a quantum hardware and software startup, INQ. So it's uh, been a really nice journey. Uh, it's interesting to be working with a different modality in quantum hardware than IBM and yeah. learning all about it. So it's just been a great experience. Cool. Now, so where did where did you grow up, Denise? If you don't mind me probing, and again, the segue is to, to you know, my mother, your, your mom, <laughs> exactly. So I, uh, born and raised in California. I grew up in Southern California most of mm -hmm. the time at the beach. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I used to ride my bike to the beach every day. Nice. And uh, I had a weird mother. She was not a housewife. She was a physicist, or she okay. is a physicist. Yeah, and so. Uh, my sister and I used to always want a mother that had dinner on the table at night or, you Chocolate know, like, chip cookies. Or, uh... Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and my mother went to work every day and was a physicist and flew around the world and went to meetings. 
And it turned out that all my friends loved my mother and they felt she was a huge role model. And, you know, my sister and I were like, can we have dinner or something, you know? (laughs) And so um, it, it was a, it was a funny growing up because, you know, just your mother's different. Right. And my mother to this day is very much of a physicist. Uh, I took her to the CERN open house. It's all she still talks about. Wow, cool. Um, she wants like physics books for Christmas, and <laughs> and uh, I mean, she's just she's a, she's a trip. She's very yeah. intense and very scientific. Yeah, and uh, it's it's now really cute because yeah, she's thanks. so into this. So uh, it's great, boy. Sidebar plug for the fantastic organization that Denise runs called Women in Quantum. It's part of the One Quantum uh, Consortium, if you will. I encourage listeners, if you're not aware of that, to check it out. Um, I've attended their last several events. They're fantastic. The The women who speak about the work they're doing in the quantum space is just remarkable. So Women in Quantum, put that on your list, all you listeners, right? Thank yeah. you. It's it's a great organization, and uh, it's it's amazing how many women there are in quantum. Yes, more amazing than the next. It's just I learned yeah. so much. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Great. So let's shift gears. Talk about INQ and the company. What you're doing? Um, I understand that one of your founders demonstrated the first quantum gate. So, I wonder if you could share with our listeners a little bit more about that. Very interesting. I've been looking at the history of quantum computing. And I've been trying to understand what modality was first and, you know, like just trying to understand really what the history of quantum computing is. And yeah. much to my chagrin, I didn't know it, or I didn't know that the first quantum gate, the first demonstrated quantum gate, which was a CNOT gate, hmm. was done by one of our founders, Chris Monroe. In 1994, while he was a postdoc at NIST in David Wineland's lab. And this is part of the work that eventually uh, helped David get the Nobel Prize in physics. Hmm. So it's just very interesting to me that the first quantum gate ever demonstrated was trapped ion. Amazing. That's a long time ago, right? 1994. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. And Chris is. Chris is amazing. He tells stories about it, and it's really fun to listen to. Yeah, I met him like at MIT at a Media Lab event. It was fascinating hearing him talk about the work that he was doing. And can you share with listeners the basics of the INQ solution, just for those who may not know, you know, what it is, what it what it does? Sure. It so INQ uh, makes a quantum computer, and it's a modality called trapped ion. It's, again, developed by Chris Monroe and another one of our chief scientists, Jung Sing Kim. And the trapped ion solution is different than superconducting. It runs at room temperature. It, uh, we yeah. are reducing the size of the device, so every subsequent generation of, of our computer is smaller. And we've published a very aggressive roadmap where we want to, where we show how we're shrinking the device in every, you know, subsequent generation. We've had six generations so far. We have a number in development. And um, it's, it's amazing to think about making quantum computers smaller, 
because when we look at other modalities, they're not at room temperature and the computers seem to get bigger and bigger and they're showing you pictures of these huge refrigerators. And that's not the case with INQ. So it's very exciting. It's just a very exciting group dynamic, lots of technology and development. And then we also have an applications team. And I've been around, I've worked for a number of companies. Really impressed with our applications team. They have moved several projects that we were working together on with customers so quickly. If they find an error in someone else's software, they hack a fix. They don't wait for them to fix it. I mean, they just move. And so it's very cool. Wow, that's great. Um, Worth noting that um, Amazon Bracket, Microsoft Azure, and Google Cloud have engaged with INQ and that you're producing the first and only quantum computer available via the cloud on those um, infrastructures, if you will. Can you describe how those partnerships work? Like, how does that interaction go? So one of the things we wanted to do is to get people to try our technology. And as you know, Amazon, Microsoft, and Google have quantum computing practices and, uh, and frameworks or clouds where you can access where they want customers to access quantum computers through their clouds. So we felt that this was a really good opportunity to get people to try our hardware. And so we do have relationships with all three cloud providers and customers who have an account on those clouds can simply uh, run jobs on the INQ devices. So it's very easy if you're an end user to just uh, access our computer and use it. So along that line, so what SDKs does INQ work with? Like, for example, can you run a Qiskit algorithm on an INQ device? So good question. So INQ is trying to work with every SDK um, out there or the major SDKs because we feel that we want to let the scientists pick which SDK they want to work with. So we work with, uh, obviously, Amazon Bracket. We work with uh, Google Circ. We work with QSharp. And, of course, we work with Qiskit also. Now, one of the things I want to say is, yes, you can run a Qiskit algorithm on an INQ device, but because of our device, there are there's tuning that needs to take place. Hmm. And so, for example, we don't need swap gates because we have all the all connectivity. And so one of the things that we do is we work with customers and we teach them how to how to program on this different modality. Hmm. Very cool. Um, in terms of advancing quantum, right, at a meta level, I read that INQ has a credits program where you give uh, an allotment of machine time to academic researchers, which is very cool. Can you tell us a little bit more about that program? Sure. So we have a research credits program, and it's on our website. And basically, people go on our website, and they put together a project, and they or they describe, it's, it's short, it's not long, so don't think it's a lot of work. <laughs> okay. um, and they describe a project. And, and we offer this to uh, universities. And they can describe this project, and generally we accept the project and we fund it with free machine time Mm. so that also, again, we're trying to get people to try our device and see how great it is. So this is uh, one of the ways we do it. We've had 
phenomenal response, amazing response to the program. And we're really excited. Uh, we, we're open again for applications. So if anybody out there wants to uh, get some research credits, they just simply need to go to our website. Great. Wow. Thanks. That's that's exciting. Very cool. And again, advancing the the science here. Um, and we talked before about INQ planning to develop, you know, what you might call modular quantum computers, small enough to be networked together. The implications being it would pave the way for a broad quantum advantage by 2025. Can you share some insight into that roadmap? I've seen some charts showing it, you know, as you described earlier, getting progressively smaller and smaller. Um, maybe describe what the challenges are as well as well as the potential for this kind of, you know, modular quantum computer. So I think every quantum computing modality or quantum computer has a challenge in how to scale. How yeah. are we going to get to 300 or 1,000 qubits? So INQ has the idea, and they've done a lot of research on it, and they have publications on it, where we could network quantum computers together hmm. so that that might be a way to grow the number of qubits and increase the capabilities of our devices. So we've published this in our roadmap. Um, it's, again, very challenging and very scientific, but uh, we have a really great team that has done, already done a lot of work on it. So we're very optimistic about our abilities to get this done. Cool. That's very exciting. Wow. I want to shift gears and talk sort of business perspective for a moment. So there's a lot of speculation in the quantum information science space, right, about which use cases and by implication verticals, right, will be the first to show quantum advantage. And just want to get your take as someone who's been involved in this space for a comparatively long time and certainly starting at IBM and now um, experiencing these two startups. Where do you think the, you know, the first you know, viable real you know, business value use case will be? They're, they're already starting to appear. There's little glimmers of uh, quantum advantage that's very exciting. Yeah. Um, and I think as we get better and better computers, we are going to see more single examples of quantum advantage. But we are not yet at a point where everything you run on a quantum computer you know, has quantum advantage. So we're not there yet. But I think we are going to see some use cases in the next year, two years. Um, and again, this depends on kind of the size of the data and the size of the problem. Um, I, I see a lot of really great machine learning work going on. Yeah. Um, so I my bet is that the solution will have something to do with machine learning. It also uh, could be some quantum chemistry. Hmm. But there's so much work being done in so many different industries. I think, you know, I think this is part of the fun that you and I have whenever we get together is like, what's happening? And, you know, <laughs> right. who's going to be first? And, yeah. yeah. Where's it going? What's going to happen? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. What's your bet today? You know? <laughs> exactly. Without pressing you, you know, for sharing anything, we'd give away competitive advantage. Um, since INQ is a company that's, you know, working with clients, I wondered if there's any, um, you know, real world engagement you could share just about, you know, what clients are coming to you and what they're doing with your technology and maybe on or off the, the three cloud providers that we mentioned, but other settings, if you could just give our listeners a sense of who you're working with. 
Sure. So we have quite a few uh, customer engagements where we're doing applications work with a corporate partner. And this is, it's really exciting to combine both the hardware and our software expertise. Mm. Um, So we do have a very experienced applications team. Uh, We do work with customers on engagements where they'll come to us and say, uh, can you help us solve this problem? We tend to do, to, we do long-term engagements where we really want to take a problem and take it to a point where a customer can deploy it in their enterprise. Um, and we're just very excited about this very dynamic applications team and what they've done even to date. We, we have publications coming out that I think you'll see over the next couple months that are really wonderful. So now we've come to the $64,000 question on my list. Um, you announced in March of this year that INQ has entered into a merger agreement with DMY or DMI Technology Group. They're a publicly traded uh, special purpose acquisition company, SPAC, right? And as a result, we're sort of at a historic moment in time, I would dare say. You are going to be the first pure play quantum IPO in history. So can you give our listeners a sense of where you are in that process as well as maybe what the implications might be? Sure. So I I do want to start out and talk about um, DMY is a SPAC, a special purpose acquisition company. They've been great to work with. Um, We will be the first pure play quantum company. And pure play, we mean it's a company focused only on quantum computing. So just to kind of define what that means. um, It's exciting because I haven't been able to talk about this. (laughs) But uh, we announced two days ago that um, our SEC statement, it's a form called S4, has been declared effective. And that means we can now move forward and have a shareholder vote. And it's going to be on September 28th. And it's going to be to vote on the merger uh, or or on the SPAC. And so we're really excited because as soon as that special meeting vote is approved, then we will go forward and be a public company. And so that's just really exciting to us. Yeah, that's fantastic. Congratulations on that. And thank you for sharing that uh, update with our listeners. So to a topic that's uh, dear, near and dear to me around sort of hiring and talent and jobs and skills and careers, I read recently that INQ uh, had several senior management hires. And I wanted to get your take on the challenges facing a company like INQ and finding talent. Like how do you go about recruiting other maybe specific disciplines that are harder to recruit for than others. Uh, I'm guessing a PhD in physics is a pretty small group of people, but there must be other skills that you're bringing to the business model to advance the company. I think it's always a challenge in quantum computing to find people that have industry experience. There's a shortage of people that have this experience and even the education. Now, the you know hiring physicists, you're right, it's a small pool of people. Uh, we've been very lucky that the our founders and the, our science is very good, so people want to come to INQ. So we do have a lot of resumes. People reach out to us through our careers website. And so we're very lucky that we have a lot of interest in our company. Um, but you're right. There are some other skills. You know, programmers are very hard to find always. Hmm. Um, and we need to yeah. program 
you know, our, our device. And, you know, there are some challenges, but I think the biggest challenge is really getting people with quantum skills and people that have some experience and some market perspective. Well, good luck with that. You know, wishing you continued success in that space. Worth mentioning too, that you are hiring, right? Based on our earlier conversation. Yes. So encouraging our listeners to check out the careers page uh, at IonQ. Um, I wanted to ask if you're comfortable having listeners connect with you on LinkedIn. Sure. Happy to, happy to connect with more people. I, Chris, we need to get our numbers up, like our <laughs> you know, mutual connections up. <laughs> there so, you go. Yes, absolutely. So please, yeah, anyone connected to me or people connected to Denise, reach for me or her or both of us and let's, uh, let's get connected. Want to mention that inq.com uh, is the website for Denise's company and you can find more information about what they're doing and the amazing progress they're making. I'm looking forward to the shrinking in size, right? I think of the ENIAC model, right? The first vacuum tube computer took up an entire room at University of Pennsylvania and it's now we wear it on our wrist. So there may be that kind of trending uh, in quantum if INQ has anything to say about it. Um, Denise, any final comments? Anything you want to share with the, the listeners before we wrap up? Well, I want to say th- thank you for listening to this podcast and thank you for learning more about quantum computing. I think it's important for all of us to keep on learning and to uh, stay current with what's going on in this industry. So I appreciate everybody listening. And I just wanted to say thank you to, to you as well, Christopher. Well, thank you, Denise, for joining me. I really appreciate it. It's always fascinating talking with you. And best of luck to INQ. Look forward to uh, watching the company grow and transform how we use quantum computing. Thank you all for listening. Take care. You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.